This is the Anatomy of a Scream Pod Squad Network. Welcome back to Nightmares and Dreamscapes, a Stephen King adaptation podcast. I'm Joe Lipset, and I'm joined as always by Mr. Terry Menard. Hi, Terry. Hey, Joe. And how many critics do you think are going to write, sometimes dead is better in the review of this movie? Oh, boy. Yes, folks. Just because it's a Pet cemetery film doesn't mean you need to trot out the more dead than alive catchphrase because it is tired. <laughs> Two and a half times it is said in this movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, and here's the thing. The problem with having such an iconic catchphrase means that any critic who doesn't like your movie is apt to reference it. And unfortunately, Pet Cemetery Bloodlines, the new prequel that is dropping, well, it would have just dropped if you're listening to this, uh, it's not galvanizing the critics in a positive way. It sure isn't. And... Boy, Mm -hmm. I am not as like negative about this movie as I feel like a lot of critics are, or I think maybe you are based on our offline conversations. But um, I've now watched this twice and I am. uh, Yeah, I know. And (laughs) I am realizing the ways that I think this could have worked a whole lot better, which is not something you want to say as you are watching a movie. Like that is the thing that's like you got to review what is there. And I'm like, okay, Mm -hmm. but there's so many better interesting movies in this yes. film and you wonder why they decided to take the creative decisions they did exactly because there are a lot of dynamics in this that i think would have been fascinating to cover but i think it's trying to do a little too much mm-hmm. uh with its what less than 90 minute runtime it's doing a little too much for what is here and there is a lack of character development and i think that is the big issue with this movie from my perspective It's so bizarre because I don't disagree with you, but at the same time, when I look at the finished result, I also don't get a sense that they've accomplished much of anything. I don't know that this works very well as a prequel because it doesn't really bridge the divide into either the Mary Lambert film or the 2019 film. And the Vietnam stuff feels really awkwardly shoehorned in here. I don't know, like, I'm I'm halfway on this. I don't think it's an epic fail. Like, I watched it and I thought, okay, there's some good stuff here. But overall, I was really left with just this big sense of, why did we make this? It doesn't feel like it's a film that has a purpose. Yes. So I, I did go do some, some digging, and this is supposed to be a prequel to the 2019 movie, which right. I okay. infamously enjoy. Mm, and I do not. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and I think it's actually um, a better adaptation of Stephen King's source material than Mary Lambert's version. Okay. So we're, I'm coming into this, and I was w- coming into this one as a fan of what Jeff Bueller wrote for the remake of the Pet Cemetery movie. Mm-hmm. And I did look and I did find an interview with him where back at the time of that release where he was talking about plans and the idea a quote is so a lot of the ideas that we've been batting around currently recently have all been about more about digging into the mythology of the town these Mm -hmm. rituals that the children present the mythology of the micmac the wendigo the cemetery the origins judd's life 
That's a lot. That's so much. And we're kind of doing that, but also we're not really doing much of any of that. And I think that's the biggest problem. Like on the second watch, I was trying to figure out why this this did not resume, resonate a whole lot with me. Mm-hmm. And I honestly think that it's because we don't really get a feel for the characters. So we have no. the the trio of, well, they should be the main characters. We have Judd mm-hmm. Crandall, we mm-hmm. have Manny, and we have Timmy. Yep. And they were friends. And we only see that based on a couple flashbacks and a picture of the three of yeah. them. And so we're going into this movie without really understanding the relationships between them. Why did mm-hmm. they stop being friends? Was it just they grew up in different, you know, in different directions? Was there something that happened? Why aren't these three people the best of friends anymore? Was mm-hmm. my first question. Because we don't we don't ever get to see Do we get the answer even? Because no. I'm fully with you. Like I I understood that they were friends who had, had some kind of falling out. But I didn't really understand why. I thought it was maybe because Timmy has gone to Vietnam and Judd has not, but he is making plans to leave Ludlow and Manny feels like he is stuck there. Mm-hmm. Which I think on its own, like those three character points are mm-hmm. really fascinating. And I would have, especially when you're looking at at um, Ludlow as this very small, you know, rural comes across town. Mm-hmm. And so I'm I'm seeing I'm seeing this angle of it about like the young generation desperately wanting to get out. Right. And I like that. I think there's interesting things you could explore there with mm-hmm. the idea of the curse of Ludlow. Right. But we don't ever really explore that a whole lot. No. No. And and folks, if you've not watched the movie, so this is set in 1969. So we're right at the end of the Vietnam War. Uh, so Timmy comes back, he's shell shocked. But also, we don't ever get to meet Timmy when he's alive, because the movie opens with his father, who is played by David Duchovny, putting him in the pet cemetery. So when he emerges, we never get to know what he's like as a human being because he's always this really evil, possessed character who just goes around uh, soliloquying about people's inner feelings and unnerving them and then eventually killing and eating a bunch of people. Uh, yeah, that's 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 basically it. <laughs> and here's here's the thing, like right away, I was a little annoyed because mm-hmm. no one seems to realize that Timmy is dead initially. And that is a betrayal on a couple, on a couple fronts. First of all, it's betrayal to the original source material because he comes back in in a coffin and his father buries him in the, in the Micmac burial ground. Right. And so everyone knows that he is dead and he just comes back and everyone's like, this is really kind of weird and that we don't get that here. So that is the first betrayal. The second betrayal is that, Jeff Bueller himself had written a three-minute short film okay. that starred John Lithgow as Judd right. sitting in the, the dark forest and basically telling the story of Timmy. And and it's a different story? It, it's a different story. It is, it is more in line with the book. And so we have this, this story where everyone knows he's dead. His father, who's grieving, places him in the, in the ground to bring him back. And then that is where things come. And from here, everyone's like, he's back, but he's acting strange. And I'm like, mm-hmm. first of all, small town, right. everyone's going to know that he is dead. Yes. Everyone's going to know that he died in Vietnam. That's just going to happen. Mm-hmm. And so the fact that we are just glossing over that while we're also establishing <laughs> that mm-hmm. this is a prequel to the story in which, if you've seen this short film, which is on YouTube, if you haven't seen it, uh, okay. listeners. Yeah, it just, it's, it's betraying all of that. And I just don't understand. I don't understand why. 
Yeah, it definitely feels like we're doing a gentle retcon on some of these ideas, not necessarily to make this film link up with the 2019 film, but to make this film either more scary or more impactful because that was one of the consistent things that I saw across a number of different reviews from folks is saying this movie is so desperate to get to the quote-unquote scares and the you know the horror of the situation mm -hmm. that even though we are trying to do some interesting things about Vietnam about you know the legacy of what happens when Basically, you inherit generational trauma and responsibility in this town that is more or less cursed. Like, we've got an yeah. entire council of people who are looking out to make sure that bad shit doesn't happen, and it just keeps happening. And those are all really interesting ideas, but the movie really just wants to be like, jump scare, loud sound effect, bad editing, go, 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 and then we're done <laughs> after 90 minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't I can't argue with any of that. But I, I think what what grabbed me initially and what makes me somewhat. I don't know what the word is, maybe um, <laughs> <laughs> more lenient to the film okay. is that I do think the actors are are doing a really good job here They're with trying. the limited They're source really material trying. they have. And yeah. I do think that Lindsay Anderson Beer, the director, is pulling out some really good performances. I honestly think that Henry Thomas can be a hit or miss actor as an adult. Mm -hmm. I agree with but you. But I think he is really good in this. Um, yep. I think, I mean, Dave Duchovny, I just, I don't, I don't think you can really pull a whole lot out of him to be perfectly honest. I never understand people's fascination with him as an actor. <laughs> But yeah. that's neither here nor there. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing. He's got virtually nothing to work with. I don't understand his character motivation aside from grieving father wants son back. But he never seems to have any sense of responsibility for what he's done. And then the movie hinges on him changing his mind about his son for a completely arbitrary reasons leading into the climax. So I don't understand why he's comfortable letting a bunch of animals and people get murdered until a point when he says, oh, I'm not comfortable with it anymore. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. No, I, I agree. In fact, on the second watch, I literally had to rewind it because I thought I had missed something because I was like, in one scene, mm -hmm. he is arguing with um, Dan, played by Henry Thomas, who is Judd's father and right. and the people that have come to basically seek revenge on on timmy who has mm -hmm. been causing havoc in the town and then the next scene he's like okay let's go let's let's yeah, go in let's put my son down <laughs> what what, what? <laughs> where did this come from yeah i i saw a couple of people guess that either the editing is too egregious or that this movie got a really harsh trim and there were scenes left on the cutting room floor that maybe would have explained some of these decisions more I do wonder if that is also the case because we have a a, a lot of small flashbacks to them as kids. Mm -hmm. And I was like, if you film those and you have those actors, then chances are you probably filmed a bit more. And I was right. wondering if they had cut some of that because that is the thing that I think this is missing. I really do like the first act where it's kind of a slow burn. Yeah, it's not bad. Kind of like tightening noose where it's like we as viewers know that something bad is happening because we have mm -hmm. it, it's pet cemetery right right <laughs> and yet we're watching this town kind of deal with the repercussions of this and i i do think there's some good creeping dread in the in the early parts and i was like this is what is kind of interesting me in this story even though we really don't have any character drama yeah it's a problem for me if only because the film 
almost wants to treat it like we don't know where it's going to go or yeah. we're just left watching a bunch of characters who don't know what's coming their way and sometimes that can be really dread inducing because we're mm -hmm. two steps ahead of them and we can see imminent death coming but i feel like the film doesn't play that card very well like some of these characters seem a little bit foolish as a result and a lot of the time i'm just kind of left going well okay well that person's obviously going to die so it's just a matter <laughs> of when right yeah yeah that that's that is an issue <laughs> and i do think <laughs> i do think that the the through line of seeing judd who is planning to leave town and do something mm -hmm. good he right. wants to join the peace corps which i think is an interesting contrast to the vietnam war and Agreed. war and that, and that kind of stuff right so that's an interesting part and then mm -hmm. by the end of it it's a tragedy because he and his wife-to-be, who continues on in the stories, uh, in, the, in the novel, are stuck here. And mm -hmm. I felt that the writing did not support that no. decision at the very end where he's like, I don't want to hold you down. Yeah. And she's like, we're going to do good here. Yeah, I I was really interested in the tension between, you know, we, we've seen a number of horror narratives in particular, where the person who is reticent to fight will by the end of the film become a final girl, a final boy, mm. a celebrated fighter because they had to step up. So that's a bit of a tired trope for me. But it makes sense to open a film by having characters saying, I want to get out of this small town. And of course, we already know that they're doomed to die here. So it's kind of, well, what keeps them here? And I like the interplay between the conflict of Vietnam, which has killed Timmy by the mm -hmm. beginning of this film, and Judd wanting to go off to the Peace Corps with Norma, who we should note is played by Natalie Allen Lynn, who is the older sister of the actress from Chucky. So I love that the Lynn family is basically just taking over the world. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because I was like, I like this actress immediately. Why do I like her? What do I know her from? And so on. Uh, she has been in some other things. But uh, yeah, I, I just think the family is very talented. Yeah, I, I didn't even realize that. I kept thinking she looked so familiar to me and that mm -hmm. would make sense. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it makes sense why. Yeah, but, but these two, they have really good chemistry. They are mm. young. They're idealistic. They don't know any better. And of course, that tragedy that they're not just going to get stuck here, but that they're going to have to undergo some really terrible shit before the end of this film. I think that nicely propels the first half of the film. And, you know, we've got this idea that his father is literally paying so that he can be a draft dodger. I, I mean, it's legal in the sense that Judd doesn't, he's not like running away to Canada or something, but his dad has clearly paid off people so that he doesn't go. And I like that economic disparity between him and Timmy and David Duchovny's bill, where it's like, we don't have the money to keep our son safe. And this is now the price that I am willing to pay is to put my son in the pet cemetery. Problem is, we have to do all that digging ourselves as the audience and the film doesn't really do it very well. It really doesn't. In fact, some of the character development, I wouldn't call them necessarily twists, but some of the, mm -hmm. the plot developments where we find out that, you know, Dan has been paying off for him to not be drafted, like mm -hmm. all of this type of stuff feels like it should hit harder than it right. does because the characters are just like, okay, well, I guess mm -hmm. that happened now. Like there's, there's no, yeah. there's no real fallout from it. Yeah. Even Judd, when he learns that his dad has been doing this, 
two different characters have to tell him, hey, your dad has been paying to keep you safe. And it's like he doesn't even blink the first time. And then he only believes it the second time it comes up. And I'm just like, uh, shouldn't there be a conversation with your father about this? Like, shouldn't this be the big arc, right? Because the film is literally called Bloodlines. So it's all about yeah. fathers and sons yeah. and what we will do to keep our family safe and how there is this legacy of disaster and tragedy within this town. And none of it hits as hard as it should because the film just doesn't seem to understand how to make it important to either us or the characters. And I don't, I honestly do not think that the, um, the choice of focusing on Judd as the main character is doing uh -huh. this any favors. No. Because for one thing, I don't think it really helps inform his character in the, in the, uh, the 2019 film as an adult, because mm -mm. if he's going through this and then he's the one that brings church eventually to the pet cemetery that ends up causing the tragedy for the Creed family. Right. We're seeing this and I'm just like, why? It m makes him more of like it a villain. It makes him look like a fucking idiot. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's that. <laughs> but then I was, I also kept thinking, I'm watching Manny and I'm watching Donna. And I was like, this is an interesting relationship here. We have Native Americans yep. in a movie that is about a Native American tribe trying to save themselves from evil in this, in this sour land. Mm -hmm. And we have them, but we don't, we don't oh really boy. do much with them. Terry. And, and here's the funny thing. If you look at any of the reviews, most of them will mention the most interesting storyline is when we flash back into the extreme past so that we can look at the actual Mi'kmaq tribe who are basically being colonized and they're trying to warn settler colonialists, hey, don't do anything with this ground. It's not safe. And of course, they don't get listened to. And that's how we sort of learn the history of the town. And then, yeah, we've got Donna and Manny, who are incredibly interesting characters. And these actors are really exciting. So we've got Forrest mm. Goodluck as Manny, and then we've got Isabella Star LeBlanc as Donna. This is actually her feature film debut. Both of these actors, I think, are really interesting. Their roles, their relationship as siblings, I would have much preferred if these two were the main characters. Absolutely, me too. Because I, I, I honestly, I was like, when I saw that we were going to have some Native Americans in this, I was like, mm -hmm. this is good. Finally. Because this is a story <laughs> that is grounded yeah, literally. in the Micmac burial ground, like, you know, mm -hmm. literally. And so I was happy that we, we have that. And I was happy that we saw a little bit in the past. And you're right. I really, I, I really do think that past was an interesting little side story that could have mm -hmm. been its own story as it was yeah i saw a couple of people who actually speculated this film would be more interesting and or potentially even more relevant if we had have taken a fear street 1666 approach Ooh. and just set the film in that time yeah yeah because what do we gain from setting this film in the vietnam war except for the idea that oh it's an easy way to excuse how timmy ends up in that burial ground like, to me, this is on par with scary stories to tell in the dark, where we're literally just using the specter of the Vietnam War, and we're not actually interested in doing anything with it. Yeah, we're not interrogating it. We're not mm -hmm. doing anything interesting with that time period, which I think is rife for an exploration, particularly when you have 
this three quadrants where you have someone that's rich that's being bought out of it. You have someone that is not so lucky and living on the farm on the outskirts of town. And mm-hmm. then you also have Native Americans. And so you have like this 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 dichotomy between the three of them that could have been an interesting thematic thing to explore. But right. the script, unfortunately, is not interested in any character development. As you said earlier, it just wants to get to the bing, bang, 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 which is unfortunate. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're right. I, I agree with you that a lot of these actors are giving it their all. Like, I don't think Jackson White as Judd is bad, but he's giving such bland himbo vibes. Like, there's just nothing interesting for this character to do except be earnest and really naively innocent to the point where I find it difficult to believe that this is an adult male who could survive on his own because <laughs> he just seems way too innocent. But again, that could be an interesting thing to explore, the sort of um, Mm -hmm. uh, entitlement that comes from not having to really do anything because your parents are able to pay things off. Like that would have been an interesting angle. Mm -hmm. I will say, though, that is as much of a wet noodle as Judd (laughs) Crandall's character is. Yeah. Boy, Joe, I could get lost in his brown eyes. Oh, so hot. Yeah. I mean, even Timmy, who basically looks like a walking corpse, thanks to the makeup team, I'm going to say Jack Mulhern, also very attractive. Forrest Goodluck as Manny, very attractive. Like, this is a good-looking cast of people, mostly because we don't have any old people in this movie. But the movie often doesn't seem to know what to do with them, except to either kill them or make them look hot. Which, uh, in the last case, I really do appreciate it. And I also did think it was very funny. The, the moment that actually made me laugh was when... Uh, it's nighttime. Judd is in just boxers. He is mm-hmm. running around his his house with the gun. And <laughs> with then, his cowboy boots. <laughs> with his cowboy boots. Yes. Sexy. And I was like, oh, okay, this is this is doing something for me. But then I love mm-hmm. that he gets back up to, to his bedroom and Manny bursts in the window. And he's like, oh, shit, why are you sexy? <laughs> Honestly, I, just, <laughs> I was getting so queer undertones from me Manny too. the whole film. I was going to ask if, if I was just reading too much into it, but there Mm-mm. is there's an aspect of him that I'm wondering, it, that again, could have been an interesting realm to explore because there yeah. is there does seem to be some attraction there. I love you. Why are you leaving town and leaving me? Oh, yeah. Oof. That would yeah. have been an interesting angle to explore. Because I'll confess, as interesting as I find Manny, I'm having the same issues as some of these other characters where I just don't entirely understand his motivation. Why does Manny feel like he has to stay in town? You know, Donna talks about how she's preparing to leave and she invites him to come with her and he just kind of shuts down. And the implication is, is that he obviously leaves town at the end after his sister has died and he's the one who escapes and Judd is forced to stay. But I never understood, like what what was keeping manny here yeah i i don't either and again i think that that is that's the problem is that i don't think the script understands these characters or wants to do anything with them Mm -hmm. and so while we have actors that are very watchable and are doing as much as they possibly can with the source material there is not a whole lot of source material for them to go on and i I felt a little betrayed by the ending of I I thought it was great that Manny is the one that gets to escape town. But Mm -hmm. he has like this carefree smile on his face. He's flicking off the sign. And I'm like, your Your sister just died. And you literally just (laughs) killed her because he's the Uh one that shoots her. And I was like, this does not feel like real life. (laughs) It doesn't feel earned as an ending. You know, it makes sense as a character arc. But the movie hasn't done the work to make that feel like a good ending for him. 
And I think that's the problem is that I don't think the script is doing no. the work, which is unfortunate. Yeah. So we've hammered a lot of issues on this film, but I do feel like the the couple of things it's getting quite right. I don't think it's scary. I don't think it's well edited. Uh, I do think we're relying too much on big sound effects as kind mm. of jump scare villains. But I do think the gore is pretty good. And there's at least one or two set pieces I think are pretty successful. I actually really enjoy the hospital sequence where That's it. Donna... Mm-hmm. Was that it? Yeah. yeah. Where Donna is going after Norma. I thought that was really intriguing and well yeah. shot. I think that was it, is that it felt like a bit of an unexpected thing. It scared me because it's such a public space and it's mm. pretty open. And this idea that there is no escape for Norma because these doors are locked. There's very few people around, which you could quibble as a narrative construct. You know, it's a hospital. Why are there more people here? But we see, you know, uh, Donna has taken out a nurse and a doctor mm. and She's not bamfing around like she's not able to teleport or anything, but she is able to sneak around quite a bit more quickly than Norma. And yeah, to me, that is a really good standout set piece in this film. Yeah, it's it's the moment that I think will probably stick with me after this movie has become like a forgotten relic in my mm-hmm. head. That sequence will, although I do think that when Norma cleans her feet and the skin pulls off, it's like really bad CG. <laughs> It does not look so the greatest. disappointing. Also, Dawn has been dead less than a day at that point. So why is her skin peeling off? <laughs> yeah, that's also a very good question. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> but you're right. You're right. I do uh, think the other sequence that worked for me, I like it, but it's a bit too brief because this film also doesn't understand how pacing and tension works. But when Timmy goes after Donna and she goes through the sunflower field, mm-hmm. I thought that that was... Interesting. It did remind me a little bit of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the new one that we got on Netflix. But I think there's something interesting about the visual contrast between such brightly colored, happy flowers with something horrifying. I just I needed this to be longer. Yeah, it happened too quickly. Like, I really enjoyed that we get uh, Manny and Donna like in the sunflower field. So we got we got that established early on in the movie. And I was like, this Mm -hmm. is a place of brightness in an otherwise kind of dreary yeah. movie. And it, it sticks out in my head. And then you're right. When Timmy is chasing after Donna, it just ends too quickly in the sunflowers. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah. And then you contrast that with the end of the film, which neither of us are very big fans of. And that just seems to go on and on. Like, Ugh. To be honest, I'm a little disappointed. As much as I liked Norma as a character and I like the actress, this movie pulls its punch in a really disappointing way by not killing this character who absolutely should have died in this final sequence. Because that's why I thought we were setting up that Judd, part of the reason he stays is because he has lost the love of his life and he doesn't want to leave town anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I mean, I think that's just, stuck because it is telling a story in a much larger piece where Norman mm-hmm. does live. So I right. I knew going in that she probably wasn't going to die. But also, why would you hinge your entire finale on a fate for a character that most of the audience is probably already aware of? Like, there's no tension in that. There is no tension. And I just, I had so many questions. I was wondering how these tunnels got built so quickly. Mm-hmm. 
it's just like a bunch. I I, I don't know. I, I felt like they were trying to do like visual thing, and it just wasn't. It wasn't working. This should have ended in the in the house, and yeah, and that was that. Yeah, it felt like they wanted to go for another big grand set piece, and it's fine. I mean, it doesn't really feel like it's something particularly new, but it also is introducing an entirely new environment that we've not spent any time with in the rest of the film. So I just kept wondering, you know, like is this a weird reshoot? Did we just decide, oh, we should set it somewhere more visually exciting where there's a lot of water and we can maybe drown Norma in the tunnels? And, you know, I think some of the stuff of Timmy stalking around and when he kills his dad, it was a little unexpected, but it really felt like, ooh, let's do a sequence in the tunnels. And it's kind of like, cool. It doesn't make any sense, but yeah, let's do that. It kind of feels like a producer's note where Mm -hmm. someone's like, Amp it we up. have this iconic swamp. We need to end in the swamp. Why aren't we mm-hmm. ending in the swamp? Yeah. <laughs> is what it really feels like, whether it is or not. That is how it felt to me. Because it's like, I mean, because when you think of Pet Cemetery, you think of the Pet Cemetery, which we really mm-hmm. don't get to see a whole lot of. You think of the Deadfall. No. You think of the the actual burial ground. Mm-hmm. And you think of God's Swamp, which or I think is that, what is, it, is that what it's called? I think it's called God's Swamp, but it's the little swampy area that they have to go through between the pet cemetery and the burial ground. Right. And it just feels like someone is saying we need to have more of this because mm-hmm. that is what people know from Pet Cemetery. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. In some ways this feels a little too checklisty, like checkboxy. We've got a number of things that people are going to expect in Pet Cemetery, so let's make sure we say dead is better. Let's get a couple of aerial shots of the weird configuration of the Pet Cemetery. Let's get something in the swamp. You know, this and this and this and this. Okay, cool. Oh, I guess we should make a movie. We should probably <laughs> have some kind of story. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> but. The other uh, thing is, is that like the thing I one of the additions I did enjoy about the 2019 movie is we get little bits of shots of the actual Wendigo. And right. I was like, I want to know more about that. Are we going to see more? And he's not even it, that creature Mm-mm. is not even brought up at nope. all in this. Yeah. Considering that Jeff Bueller referenced it, it makes me wonder if that was initially a plan and then it either became too much or we just decided, no, it's not going to fit in here. Because I do feel like if this film were successful, they've tried to leave the door open where we could have another film that either bridges the gap or that we could go back into that historical time period. If they're paying attention to the reviews, they might say, oh, people gravitated to that. We could make another film because obviously still Stephen King. It's still a very recognizable IP. You have to imagine that if this hits, they will consider doing more of them. Yeah. Also, I I think it's kind of weird and funny that within two months of each other, two Mm -hmm. movies that are adapting basically a small, 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 small part of a novel have Mm -hmm. come out to mixed reviews for both of them because The Last Voyage of the Demeter also is taking a similar path of of taking a very small part out of Dracula and turning it into an entire movie. Yeah. The problem is, is that we know the end of both these stories before they begin. It's not even a prequel problem. It's just... It's such a well-known story, and then neither film really does anything to either change that story or to make it interesting in a way that is going to benefit its audience. Like, it's such a perplexing decision from both of those creative teams to say, you already know how this ends, so we don't need to do anything innovative. And me as an audience member goes, no, no, 
I'm <laughs> bored because I already <laughs> know what you're doing before I even hit play on these movies. Yeah. I yeah. keep waiting for some kind of revisionist. Like, I need a Quentin Tarantino Inglorious Bastards ending where you mm. say, oh, you thought you knew the ending, but no, we're not actually going to do that because fuck continuity. We'd rather do an interesting film. Yeah. More so yeah. Demeter than this, though. <laughs> this one, I think you've just you boxed yourself in. Like, there's only so many different stories you can tell about people stupidly bringing dead people back. And there you go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really sorry if folks like this movie and it feels like I just shat on it. I didn't mind watching it. I just can't really recommend, particularly anybody who's on the fence. Like, if you've just got 90 minutes to kill and you're curious, by all means, go knock yourself out. Hot people, pretty decent core, no tension, bad editing, bad story. But at the end of the day, I just... I think of films that don't get made so that we can make stuff like this because it's recognizable and that makes me a little sad. Yeah. Yeah. It's the IPification of um of movies right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh I don't know. I mean, Stephen King adaptations continue to roll on, so it's not like it's not like it's going to end anytime soon. But I no. feel like between something like this and the not very good Firestarter movie that we referenced at the end of our King on Screen episode, um, I don't know. I think that people just need to be really careful. King is not an easy person to adapt at the best of times, but also True. particularly when you're doing such a well-known title you really have a responsibility to think about, okay, how are we doing this in a way that either justifies its existence or modernizes it or just tells a different story in the same vein as what King's story is doing? I mean, I did appreciate going into this one that it at least tried to do something that it wasn't basically just a, a repeat of the Pet Cemetery movies. Because mm -hmm. we do get a little bit, we get, do get a, a different feel than just a family moves in, a kid right. dies and is brought back. Like, at least it's trying to do something a little bit different on that. It just mm -hmm. is not successful enough because I think this, like a lot of adaptations, misses the characters that I think is what draws me to Stephen King's work. Mm -hmm. And here we don't have any of those characters to latch onto. And no. I, I do think that prequel, not prequel, new movie, not movie, the fact that we don't feel for these characters is doing disservice to King's work, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I stopped it, and I just thought to myself, we took deliberate efforts to include Indigenous people because that's long been a criticism, particularly of this text. They end up being the most interesting characters, but we didn't trust that the audience or the story would work if we made them the leads. Think of how much better this film would have been if it had been Donna and Manny or even that indigenous history from the past. Like Those two avenues, I think, would have made this not just more compelling, but I think it could have moved it into an almost prey-like territory. I was just going to say... Where's the prey version of Pet Cemetery? That's Literally what I that. to see. And I get it. It's it's riskier because then you can't hire Henry Thomas or you you can't have a hot generic white guy in the lead. <laughs> but also look at the fucking reviews for prey. Like yep. I don't know. It just seems particularly in our contemporary times where we're trying to do better with things like diversity casting, that to me just feels like such a fucking no brainer. Like you took it one step, but you needed to take it all the way here. Absolutely. 
Uh, okay. You know what? I think I think we made our point. <laughs> we beat the dead horse. Is it time to put it in the pet cemetery? <laughs> Bring it back so we can beat it again. Only if it comes up different. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Joe. Sometimes dead is better. Ah, uh, cancelled. Okay. <laughs> Terry, if people want to talk to you about either this film or the 2019 film, which you profess to enjoy, how would they get in touch? Uh, you will find me at Gailey Dreadful on any of the social medias that still exist. Mm. And Joe, if people want to talk about... I don't even know. I don't even know what people would want to talk about with this movie with you because it, there's not a lot to talk about. Ugh. But if they do have something they want to say to you about about this adaptation, where would they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And we will also thank the Anatomy of a Screen Pod Squad Network for hosting the show and giving us a platform to vent. <laughs> but, uh, you know, Terry, as is usual for this podcast, we don't quite know when we'll be back with more Nightmares and Dreamscapes. But folks, if you are missing our voices, do keep a lookout for Sexy and Surreal because we've got new episodes of our David Lynch and David Cronenberg adventures. And you know what? Actually, we are covering a Stephen King adaptation. We sure are. And honestly, Joe, I really want to know where Salem's Lot is, the new adaptation of that. Oh, there we go. You know what, folks? That's our next episode, unless that movie never fucking comes out, because <laughs> where is it? Where is it? Where is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, until until then, stick this there movie back in the pet cemetery. <laughs> Scream Pod Squad.